Well, hello, everybody. Before we get into today's episode, let's talk about a sponsor, the Woodford Group. Do Monday mornings get you down? Are you feeling unmotivated in your current job? Then it is time for a change. Let the team at the Woodford Group help you find your dream job today. With a focus on senior executive, permanent and temp roles within the HR, business support and customer service industries, the dedicated team will help you find success and satisfaction in your new job. Visit woodfordgroup.com.au today. Due to crippling anxiety and depression, today's guest gave up her dream career in musical theatre and promptly had the rest of her life fall apart. Divorce, bankruptcy and nearly dying, it happened all in the same year and today we discuss that. Episode 69, Cat Elizabeth. Welcome to One Moment Please, the podcast where our guests take a moment to tell their stories of how they've overcome adversity to achieve success and you take a moment to tune in to bring on the inspiration. Hey, Kat. Hello. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Look at you sitting there all smiley and everything. You're too perky. I haven't even had a coffee yet. You're too perky. Oh, I don't know. It's like I'm just used to it. This is my this is my background. It's like the camera's on or you're on stage, you get your perky side on and then you go and collapse in a heap afterwards. Well, yeah, well, because you've been in theatre and, and stuff. Did you end up doing TV? I know we're going to talk about it in more detail, but did you end mm-hmm. up doing any TV or film? Yeah, a little bit. Um, yeah, when I was living in uh, Vancouver <laughs> up until, you know, the, the pandemic, um, mm. I did pursue the, the film and television thing and, yeah, landed a few gigs on some some cool things and then suddenly all the production shut down and that was that. Was that. <laughs> so Fair enough. Mm. Came back to Oz. Yeah. So you've got a very interesting story. So it was sort of following dreams – crashing in terms of life I suppose <laughs> and then sort of having to pick you pick yourself back up and and redefining who Kat is mm-hmm. talk to me about the the early years because you pursued a career in musical theatre had you always wanted to be in musical theatre I mean pretty much I I mean, I loved performing. Like, so I started, you know, I was like doing the dancing thing from when I was like three, got put in dancing because my mom never got to dance. So she was like, I'm going to give my child what I never got. And I didn't take it very seriously until I moved from Sydney to the Gold Coast and joined a dance school where it was like so serious about competitions and like the teacher was a little nuts, um, like threw things at us, you know, she had had interesting, um, you know, techniques tactics to get us to do our thing it pulled me out of my shell which is I I take that from it because I was deathly shy before that wouldn't say boo to anyone and she she's the one that pulled the perky out of me because I knew if I didn't smile and do my thing I was in huge trouble (laughs) (laughs) but then uh when I went to I, I did a trip uh to the states when I was about 13 or 14 it was like a big deal because it was like my my dad had like um, was in recovery from cancer and we're like celebrating it was like the big trip went to see a couple of Broadway shows for the first time in my life I always loved movie musicals and everything but wasn't necessarily I didn't have that as my like career path yet but when I saw 42nd Street on 42nd Street in broad on Broadway (laughs) um, that did it for you that I just I was sitting there going yep do you know? Do you know what made me fall in in musical theatre? And I can't hold a note to save my life. <laughs> um, completely tone deaf. Um, is when like I'd seen Pirates of Penzance, and I'd oh, seen. I think um, it was the first thing I ever saw when I was a I'd kid. <laughs> Phantom of the Opera and stuff with my kids and my parents. But the first theatre production that I kind of went, "Wow, this is amazing!" was Rent, and I think <gasps> it was more modern. 
that's one of the three shows I got to see on Broadway when I first went to Broadway. Mm-hmm. If that came back to Melbourne, I'd yeah. be there with bells on watching it. Isn't it amazing? Oh, amazing? I'm sure it's dated these days, but I don't care. Like it, I knew the every single word, like every lyric to every song. And I was one of those fangirls in the audience, like singing along. And yeah, it, when I saw it though, it was um, Joey Fatone from NSYNC was playing um, oh. Mark. And that was I, interesting. That was, yeah. I don't know who was on. There was um, Christina Anu was one of the first right. moments. So yes. she was one of one of the main characters. And I mm-hmm. don't know. I think she I was Mimi. Yeah. I don't even know the names of the characters. Yeah, that's, I, I, was, that was awesome. I used to be full musical theatre nerd. Not anymore. But yeah, Rent <laughs> always has a very special place in my heart. So yes, all of that whole experience was the thing of like, this is going to be my career don't anybody tell me I can't do this basically was the vibe wow so you're so singing dancing already down pat and then you're like musical theater this Mm -hmm. is my jam yeah when how old were you when you landed your first um gig in musical theater uh so I'm talking main I'm not talking like school productions or like yeah 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 yeah. Yeah. I mean look my the shows I did like so I did some amateur theater and then a couple of pro amateur shows for a few years between the ages of like you know 14 and 17-ish and I could tell I was like okay cool I see a lot of people getting stuck here because they the the ego trip of you know starring in a in an amateur show like got them you know chasing that but I was like that's not enough for me like this is not about being the star I mean I wanted to be a star eventually but I knew that if I was gonna do this I had to you know, risk rejection and start auditioning for the professional ones. So, you know, it was a couple of years still. Like, so my first big like professional performing gig was working at Movie World (laughs) as Marilyn Monroe. And that gave me some great experience. Um, But then while I was at Movie World, that's when I actually met my ex-husband who hooked me up with his, yep, (laughs) spoiler alert, Um, (laughs) his agent, like so that was the first agent that I landed when I was sort of like an adult and oh, I was so he like, was working in he was already he was an actor he was working there um he had this agent and was like yeah I can connect you and so I signed up with this agent and I was yeah I think I was 19 at the time and the very first audition that I did like so she called <laughs> she was not the greatest agent <laughs> she called I was like do you sing I was like, isn't it your job to know that? Like, have you looked at my resume? She probably has like, hundreds though. Oh, yeah, that's it. So, And I was like, yes, yes, I do sing. And she's like, okay, because there's this musical coming to and they're auditioning in Brisbane soon. Like, do you want me to put you forward for it? And I hadn't, I'd heard of it, but I didn't really know much about it. I was like, yeah, I mean, I'll go. Like, I'll, I'll get the experience. Did a bit of like research and was like, oh, this is this is cool. Okay. And so just started prepping, still thought this is a joke. Like, who am I? I'm so green. And but went in first audition. I mean, choked when I first sang because I was so nervous, but they gave me a second chance. They obviously saw something and they're like, that's okay. You're just nervous. Sing it again. And we're talking like there were people on the panel from Broadway because the Broadway production was putting it on in Is Australia. Is that unusual that they allow you to do a second if you no, stuff up the first? No, not from, not from my experience. <laughs> like I honestly, I was so deflated after singing my first song because I knew I could do so much better. And I, I think they can hear it. They, they can tell the difference between nerves and bad technique. Mm-hmm. But after I finished, I wanted to die. Like I wanted the floor to swallow me up. And when they said, no, that's okay, do it again. I was like, oh my 
gosh, like what? And next thing you know, like seven months and five auditions later with them flying me to like Sydney and Melbourne for, for callbacks, I got the role. And that was not the, like, that was not my plan because I just did not think it was possible because first big audition, I was 20. I'd never, I hadn't done like professional musical theater training. Like as in, I hadn't been to university. All the other finalists were from Whopper and NIDA and all the, you know, prestigious academies. And I was like from the Gold Coast, just doing my dance classes and a few singing classes. and, And that was it. But I was so determined, like, I could, I could taste it. <laughs> now we're not going to mention any of the production names, but yes. Um, what were you lead? Were you backup? Were you in the corner somewhere that you could barely be seen? Like how significant was the role? Well, it was a small cast show, and there were only three female characters in it, and I had one of them. Okay. So it was, it was a pretty big deal. Like okay. Girls weren't like, let's just say like the girls weren't necessarily, you, I would not say I was a star, definitely not a star. However, a lot of responsibility, lots of stage time. Like it was, yeah, I was definitely Kind of what you want, I corner. would imagine, stage time. Yes. <laughs> stage time is good. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was, it was inc- like, it was honestly, I was like, oh my goodness, I'm, I think when I got it, I was like 21 was when I got the actual offer and all my dreams had come true in that moment. I was like, I've done it. I've made it. <laughs> What was the dream? The dream to become a Maria Marina Pryor? 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 I mean, the What's ultimate dream was Broadway. Um, right. Like I, you know, Broadway star. And so the first thing was like, well, you got to be in a Broadway show, and this show had come from Broadway. People from Broadway had chosen me to be in it, yeah. so I was like, well, it, this is it's happening now. Like it all, it's on. Like Donkey Kong. <laughs> How was that experience, though? Like, what what is the reality of? <laughs> musical theater like is it good like I don't even know if it's good money you're Mm. pursuing all this stuff and I would imagine it's two shows two shows a a day uh so it's it's um you have two days a week where you have two shows and the rest is one you have one day off a week so it's eight shows a week six days and it's six days of work a week how how long is the runtime usually you usually have six weeks to prepare for the show yeah I think I think it was about a an eight week um, rehearsal period because then you also have like a couple of weeks of previews and you know all the tech like moving into the theater and everything and then I mean you sign a, this is the funny thing with theater like with the big like the main stage musicals at least in Australia you sign a contract that's like a kind of a run of play where it's basically saying like I'm committed for like a minimum of I think it was like 14 or 15 months I can't remember the, it was a while ago let's Jinky. just say right, and so you're kind of in the position where you say Yes, I am giving you my soul, but you have no idea how long it's going to run for. They they might plan for like a certain amount of time. So let's say like, you know, in Australia, it's either like they're planning on maybe a 12-month run in one city and then they'll move cities or they'll do a tour where they're planning on touring for a year or two. So you kind of just commit and you hope for the best. And then sometimes you get lucky and you can keep that job for a really long time. Other times it closes within three weeks of opening night and I've had friends have that happen and they're on the street. Like there is no, just like they've committed, but there's no compensation. You just lose your job if, if tickets aren't selling. So so that's, yeah, that's kind of just like a taste of, of the, the performer life. Because I, I, that's interesting because normally if you have a job or a, co- a job contract and you say, okay, I'm working from – 1st of January to the 30th of June, mm-hmm. then if they cut it earlier, you get compensated because you've signed yeah. up for that time. Mm-hmm. And no, oh, okay, that's and interesting. I mean, the loophole is like, yeah, well, there's no show. 
like if the show's closed, they've got no money and so it's just kind of like, well, like a redundancy. Too bad. Yeah. Yeah. Without yeah. the payout. With it, yeah. <laughs> so it's yeah, it's just like the balance is off from the beginning. Um, but when it's when it's good, it's good. But it's funny you mentioned the money thing because I didn't know what good money was. Like that was like probably already like a kind of a red flag for my just my own <laughs> life. When you know I I'm get sent you not, a lot of, not a lot of research here, Kat. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Because again, I hadn't hadn't been to uni and I'd only had like sort of like casual day jobs and things. Like I had no frame of reference for what like good money was. And my parents didn't necessarily like I, you know, they would say things like, We don't have enough money or your dancing is gonna send us broke and we're gonna have to retire in a caravan. <laughs> but <laughs> carried that for a while. It's all good. Yeah, we're we're here. Probably healed not now. a we're great thing it. to put on a kid, but okay, No, that's... they didn't real I don't think they thought it through at the time. <laughs> Funny guilt. how when words can affect kids so much. And you just take that story on and it you just roll with it, which yeah, yeah well, I'm sure we'll come back to later on. But um, yeah, so I just, I didn't know what money, good money was. And so I got handed this contract and I was like, holy crap, like this is more money than I've ever seen in my life. It was shit, wasn't it? <laughs> No, and look, it, oh, to be fair, it's it was decent enough, especially for a first a first job for a non like a like someone without any sort of like um you know a formal education like you know who'd gone to like year eleven yeah and without NIDA or WAPA or anything like that I was like mm, okay and What's my dad Whopper? was like, I haven't heard of WAPA oh sorry so that's the Western Australian Academy of Performing Arts so that's right. in, in Perth. And that's where like people like Hugh Jackman graduated WAPA uh, so it's I more thought it was NIDA okay. I'm pretty sure I'm not I'm up pretty, with I'm not up with yeah. my uh, <laughs> yeah. performing they, arts. So they the, if you want to do musical theater, you go to Whopper, and neither is often like the dramatic, like this, just the straight acting part. Right. Um, okay. And so, that's yeah. Sydney. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, so we got the contract. Thought it sounded amazing. Um, and but the main the main challenge was that like I'd been auditioning they found me in in Brisbane and then they were starting to fly me to like Sydney and Melbourne for the the callbacks but when it came time to get the offer they said okay um so here's the deal like you need to tell us that you're based in Melbourne before we make the offer and previous to that the kind of the standard for the industry was if they find you in another um, state, you know, if they they were auditioning in that state, they found you there and then they brought you down, they relocate you. And so that was the kind of like, but obviously I, it was my first show. We're talking like, this is the biggest opportunity of my life. And for anyone, it was huge. You of just, course, I'm going to say yes. Yeah. Like, what, like you'd be an idiot not to, like I yeah. had no negotiating power because I had no like there was no leverage, no leverage whatsoever yeah. so it kind I just I didn't think that much of it in the moment because it was just like whatever it takes well, it's a rock and a hard place isn't it <laughs> yeah. like you've been chasing this dream for for ages like that's mm-hmm. full yeah everything was dedicated towards it and I got it so uh, come on like one why would you one not do every, like, everything <laughs> you could to make that fulfilled uh-huh. yeah 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 um, but yeah, so it just like, it just, that was the first experience of like, ah, okay. So there's a lot more to this than like showing up and performing on stage. Um, there's a lot of fine print. Cool. Okay. Like we're going to roll with this. And I mean, the rehearsal period was incredible. Like it was so magical. Like I just was like oh, pinching myself every day, opening night, pinching myself, crying. Like it was <laughs> like one of my strongest memories is standing side stage, like in the wings for opening night, like the first time that like I hear the the finale song playing and that was the song that I'd played 
every day on repeat for seven months while I was running on the treadmill, visualizing me having that, you know. So I just, my whole body was covered in goosebumps. Incredible. And then like a few weeks in. So hang on a minute. So okay. you're standing on stage sobbing your heart out. No, no. So like I was, call. I hadn't entered the, the, the stage yet. I was kind of like in the wings waiting to do running, my entry. And it was like, yeah, there was just like, there was the tears, there was the goosebumps. <laughs> I was like, okay, get it together. <laughs> and, then, and then Perky, Perky Cat came back and, and off she went on stage. Although you, if you'd looked up close, it, you might've thought it was sweat, but it was probably a mix of sweat and tears. Yeah. Um, so pretty, pretty epic. And yeah, within three weeks is when the reality hit me that, oh, I have to do the exact same thing eight times a week indefinitely. For 14 months. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I didn't know at the time, like it makes so much more sense now I was diagnosed with ADHD last year and I was like, ah, this could explain why I stopped enjoying it after a while when it stopped being stimulating, when I knew exactly what I was doing. It was very repetitive. Explain to me, because I only know ADHD in a very layman's terms Mm -hmm. and I know it from kids being from an outsider's point of view and a mm-hmm. layman's point of view, what looks like a hyperactive kid, mm-hmm. really. Yeah. So that's that's my limit of, yeah. and I know that there's obviously a difference between being a hyperactive kid and mm-hmm. having ADHD. I get that, people. Mm-hmm. But from a layman, I, I've not had any exposure to it. Sure. So what is what, how does ADHD normally manifest itself and is it different in different people? Yeah, and so that is the big thing is it shows up differently from a in everyone. Yes. Oh, and I'm, I'm sure I'm going to butcher any sort of explanation. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still like, I've been on a learning journey ever since, um, like before the diagnosis and still yeah. going, like I'm constantly reading books, trying to understand it better. Cause it's a, it's yeah, it's weird, um, but it shows up differently in everyone. And the big, but the big thing is it shows up usually very differently in boys and girls in that the, the hyperactivity thing it, that's definitely something that can be a sort of like a sign of the ADHD, but it's that is a specific kind of like strain of it. As in, you know, some people will have the the hyperactivity piece. Other mm-hmm. people, like, because it's all to do with your brain activity. So mm. it can, you know, it can show up, and someone can be bouncing off the walls, and often that's like the little boys, and then they get, you know, they get diagnosed very early on because it's really obvious. Yeah. But often in girls, they have the inattentive type, which is what they call it now, which you don't have it the physical sort of manifestation of it it's just the stuff that's going on in the brain which can make it very hard to focus and there can be just a lot of chaos in your brain and sometimes it's actually a difficulty of even taking action and one of the big things is like your your brain isn't actually like producing enough dopamine to stay stimulated and stay focused and so it's just I mean there's a lot to it but basically as soon as something isn't stimulating and challenging and grabbing your entire focus and it's something that's menial and sort of like repetitive and something that you've mastered that is actually when it becomes the most challenging like so so my challenges is not doing something very complicated and challenging and exciting it's like remembering to like shut a drawer after I've opened it or like realizing that there is a door that I'm about like I just walked into a door and how did I not see that because my mind is actually somewhere else like I just how does one yeah. how does one I'm now thinking I may have it um, <laughs> it's very common it's like one in ten women minimum <laughs> how does 
one get diagnosed? Like what made you go and chase a diagnosis of ADHD? Funnily enough, it was like a client of mine who had, and hers was quite an extreme case and also paired with um, another sort of like she was, she had a couple of different um, challenges. I won't go into all the, like the details. Um, But I was like, wow, we have a lot in common. Like I really understand how your mind works. And, you know, the whole thing with her is like no one understands how my mind works unless they also have ADHD. And I was like, yeah, but I'm sure it's just a coincidence, like not a big deal. And then it was interesting. So many people in the entrepreneurial space do have ADHD. They're drawn to it, like entrepreneurship for the reason that they need to create something that fits them that like allows them to be them um and you know sitting at a at a day job and and having certain like expectations and restrictions can really sort of like they can crumble wonder, under that so I wonder yeah. how much of it though is and obviously I'm not a doctor and I'm a functioning moron but I wonder <laughs> how much of it is so I find that I was a lot better at school, sitting mm-hmm. down, learning, which obviously mm-hmm. is not typical of someone that has ADHD. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could sit down and concentrate and do schoolwork. And then mm-hmm. as I was getting, as I've got older, like I find my attention spans not as good. And I'm wondering whether or not that's an effect though on the flicking on Instagram, you know, the the, the short <laughs> We're mm. now conditioned our brains for yeah. s- short snippets of information, you know, those 15 seconds, mm-hmm. 30 seconds grabs. And I'm wondering whether or not it's a, it's a physical reconnection of the s- synapses that we've done somehow mm. and messed our brain up for that attention yeah. span issue. I do, yeah. I think the for the general population, that is where we're going. Like they have seen that the average attention span has shrunk yeah. dramatically. Well, it's affecting kids in terms of schools and how they now do Oh, for sure. And it's because they're, yeah. they're, our way of consuming information and all of that has changed. Mm. With the, like with actual ADHD, it's pre-conditioning, it's pre-anything. Like it's okay. actually, yeah. And there are things you can do to improve it. So like they, from my own diagnosis, they were like, they kind of, look at what you were like as a kid and then compare it to how you are today. And they were able to see that, you know, the patterns were all the same, but they'd lessened as in I'd self-corrected in a lot of ways, things that, you know, used to be a problem. Um, So, yeah, so where were we even going? Let's see, this is a very ADHD thing to do, to just like to go dum, 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 dum. (laughs) I think I was doing the donkey, man. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's like it's yeah it's one of those rabbit holes though so yeah but long story short I was surrounded by these women in their mid-30s often getting diagnosed who hadn't realized and a lot of the time it was because their kid was diagnosed and then they were like oh wait you're describing me when you're talking about the challenges of the kid and because women as, as you know generalization are kind of good at masking things and due to people pleasing and expectations we just go up like go through our whole lives being like I'm fine I'm fine while secretly not being fine at all there is just holding everything together with it you don't have people go hey I think something's wrong with you and you need to get help whereas the boys often do get that help because we're the nurturers we look after them that's why it's our job to keep it together for everybody even if we're absolutely drowning so yeah so it took me ages um and it was like six months of me sort of having my suspicions and then also seeing other people get diagnosed who seemed so different to me that I thought well if they've got it I can't because we're not like we're so different 
but I just kept nagging at me. So I finally booked an appointment. You have to go like literally see a psychiatrist who gives you like an initial sort of, um, you know, di- it's not a diagnosis, more of like an assessment says, yes, I do think you have it. Then you have to go to a psychologist who does like a t- two round assessment with you to then officially say, yes, you, you've got ADHD. Um, and yeah, so that was a bit of a, like a few months process and it was a resounding yes <laughs> and suddenly so much of my life made so much more sense so what are they what can they do oh, you've got the diagnosis can they medicate like can you said it was a dopamine issue can they mm-hmm. give you dopamine yeah so that like the main like medic the medications that they use and again I'm so not qualified to be talking about this so I'll just talk personal experience is like I know that the main um form of treatment is like it's medication and lifestyle. So you're you're looking at how you can prevent stuff from like how to create a lifestyle that supports the way your brain works, um, and you know building in a lot of su- support systems to make your life easier. And then when all else fails, you've also got um, medication, yeah. which you know for, at least for me personally is like a take as needed thing. It's not you're not always on medication. I take it when I know I'm going to have a day of deep work where I have to. I have to be able to just focus on something where in the past, you know, it could take me like I could jump around for four hours, five hours before finally getting some meaningful work done. And I know when I do work and I'm in the zone, like I get so much done and I do it to a very high standard, but trying to allow my brain to even start on that work felt impossible. And that's kind of why I was drawn to, I think, performing in the first place because it seems so thrilling and full of variety and change and challenge. But once you're in a long running show, your job is to do the exact same thing eight times a week and not change anything, which to me was like, that. I was like, where's the creativity? I did this to be a creative. And I'm, a, I'm just a, like, I felt like a puppet, just like going through the motions every single day. And it started to really, yeah, eat away at me. Seamless loop back to the original Thanks, conversation that's right. that Loved is one it, of the, the gifts yeah. of ADHD Seamless. is like I could do a keynote for like 60 minutes with with no preparation <laughs> seamless loved it so how long did that uh, the, your first musical theater experience then last for um yeah so I think I was on the show for about 15 months it was like 440 performances or something like that and then had the opportunity to extend when they moved to the next city and I turned it down because I was, I was not happy. (laughs) I was not happy at all. And I didn't know what it was. I thought it was just the resentment about how the whole thing started. Um, I think there was a lot more to it than that, but I knew I wanted to do something else. I knew there was a show coming that I really wanted to be in. Um, And it was very risky because I hadn't even auditioned for it yet, but I was still back then. I was in this mindset of like, I've got this. So I said, nope, I'm not extending my contract. I quit. (laughs) I'll see out this season. And then I went and auditioned for the next show. And so like then, and thankfully, (laughs) spoiler alert, I did get in just (laughs) thankfully, because that was when I first realized, oh, it becomes really life or death. Uh, in this industry when you actually have to land the next show or you've got no way of supporting yourself, which is not what I'd experienced when I first got in because obviously I wasn't relying on the job to keep me going. Um, So, yeah, and that also changed things a lot because it started as this passion thing to suddenly, oh, no, this is how I survive is by being in a show. And that also kind of just, yeah, I was like, it's a job. 
what? Dreaded J-O-B. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, but people couldn't. They were like, but what do you mean? Like, it's the dream job. Like, you've got the coolest job in the world. It's still a job. I still have to show up and do a really good job. And if I don't, I get a warning. <laughs> so it's not, yeah, it's it's not um, the kind of like glittery, um, glamorous kind of thing that you that you think. As much as there, it has moments of that, I will give it that. There are some cool things that you get to do, like being on TV and getting interviewed and opening nights and stuff. But the rest of the time, it's really hard work. <laughs> um, how long were you doing the musical theatre for before the so the anxiety, the severe anxiety sort of kicked in? It actually kicked in in my first contract, <laughs> so which was all part of the kind of the undoing and the like of the, I guess the like the reality check. Um, in that, so I, I can't remember how far in. I feel it was probably halfway through the contract or something. Like I, I was someone I had anxiety when I was younger, but it, like it wasn't usually kind of crippling. It was like I mean occasionally it was, but then I would just get over it and move on and just didn't think about it again. But I noticed that, yeah, I was getting these kind of weird symptoms every now and then. And at this one point, I kind of, the anxiety was so bad that it became vertigo. And I actually thought I had the flu and I ended up taking about two weeks off because I couldn't stand up. Like it was, I was spinning out. The anxiety turned into vertigo. Wow. Yeah, I was the room was kind of spinning. I felt nauseous and dizzy and wobbly. Well, I've never heard it. I've heard chest pains. I've heard mm-hmm. panic attack, like, but not vertigo. Yeah, wow. mind okay. sort of, yeah, it gets very na- nauseating and just clouds everything. And I just, th- I thought I was sick. So I was calling in sick. And then I get this, uh, this call to go have a meeting with the company manager who sat me down and said, you have run out of sick days and this is a problem, um, you need like, like you're, you're at risk of, of losing your job. Like we can't, you can't keep taking sick days and which totally fair. But then I was also very honest with them, um, about what was going on. I was like, I, look, I'm having really dark thoughts. (laughs) Like I'm, I'm, I'm not okay. And I don't know what's going on. And, you know, I, I just don't know what to do. And they kind of like, okay, yeah, that's, that sucks, but like you've got a job to do and like you kind of need to just leave it at home. And <laughs> Which is how they're running a business. They and are. Like it's not, it's not their problem. Yeah. Um, but I was, you know, I was 22 and just so I was in this world that I had just no experience in. Like I, I didn't realize how sheltered I'd been until I got to that point and I didn't know where to turn. And, you know, my my partner at the time didn't know how to support me either, um, just didn't have sort of like that emotional awareness or maturity to say, hey, I think something's going on. Like, But I were, think you, you, but were you even aware? But uh, Okay. Oh, were you even aware that it was, okay, you've been, you've admitted that you're having dark thoughts, but were you even aware of what really was going on? I I knew I was well, I didn't know if it was depression, but I knew it was because I've especially since what I know today about how they say there are so many things that can kind of can present as depression. But I was I just was feeling like, what is what is the point? I was I was miserable. I was feeling empty inside. And I just I was like, is it am I in the wrong job? Is it the marriage? Is it just me? Am I broken? And I was very much questioning my own sort of sanity. Like I honestly started to think, no, it, it's it has to be something wrong with me because why would I be so miserable? Like how, why would someone be so dark and don't doesn't see any point in going on with anything when you are living 
what so many people would say is is the dream. So it started to spiral very quickly because I questioned myself and whether you know, mm. my, my doubts and my anxiety had any validity. Like it was just like, is this real mm. or like what is going on? The reason I asked the question was if you were struggling to figure out what was going on in your own head, is mm-hmm. it fair to ask your partner to know what was going on? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, for sure. And no, I would, I would speak up and I'd say I'm, I'm really unhappy. And okay. you know, like, I, yeah, there were, there were, there were chats. And so at that point I did, find a psychologist. So I did, I went and like to the doctor and I got a mental health plan and I went and did like a series with a psychologist. And So important. Everyone, please go do that yeah, if you're feeling because I there was nowhere else to, to go. And I saw like something has to, I have to do something different because I'm just living out the same day over and over again. And it only feels like it's, it's just getting worse and spiraling out of control. And yeah, so that was kind of like the beginning of me, I guess like that was, it was important. I wouldn't say that I had any breakthroughs with, with that particular work. It, I, I think it helped me start to understand how much else was at play, that it was not just one particular thing, that, that there can be so many layers to anxiety and and depression and and all of those things and I I think it was the catalyst for me then finally starting to really see that oh like I need to do more work on understanding how my brain works and what I want from life and take you know start taking some level of responsibility for also for my happiness but it was a it was the beginning of a very slow journey let's just say that what happened with the with that role um as in that contract? Well, they're saying you can't take any more sick days. You're saying I'm really in a dark place <laughs> mm-hmm. at the moment. Yeah. So the the step I took at the time was like, okay, right, this is bad. I can't lose my job. Um, and so he's kind of right. I do need to. I do need to suck it up to a point in that I do need to be able to show up to work and do my job because I it's going to get worse if I lose this job. So I that was sort of when I first learned like, oh, you can sort of compartmentalize a little oh, bit. Oh, how great is that? <laughs> Magical. Not, that doesn't shove anything down or make it come up later at all. Uh huh. <laughs> so, but I think I gave myself the the free pass to know that well, I'm going to start working on this stuff behind the scenes. Yeah. But right now. I'm going to put on a brave face and I'm going to show up and I'm going to do my job. But yeah, it, I mean, it still keeps eating away at you. And, and then it became more like a deep, dark secret of like, you've got this thing, like something's wrong with you because you've got the dream job and you're not happy, but you can't let anyone know. And I remember having this one conversation um, at a party that was like, it stuck with me. Like, I'll never forget this moment because so for context, like the perky me was the original me. Like when I, I used to be called little miss sunshine because I was so bubbly. I'm sure I was you annoyingly were one perky. Of those people. One of those. <laughs> yeah. So fast forward, you know, to age 23 or whatever, being at a party and one of your castmates say, yeah, so are you a naturally depressive person? Was like the worst thing, like I was sliced in half by that. Like it just, it, I had no words. And wow. that real, yeah. So I was like, okay. That's a pretty so big comment to say uh-huh. to somebody. I mean, let's be fair. It was later in the evening. Everyone had been drinking, you know, so it all just comes out. But it was the truth because I was coming across as a negative, depressive person. And that terrified me. It wasn't what he said. It was the fact that it was obviously coming across. And in a matter of 10 years, I'd gone from being the person known to be the most positive to like the most negative person in the room so that was a a hint at like oh okay so maybe it's not just the job but at the time I just I was still in victim mode of like well all these things have been done to me um 
so I have a right to be negative. <laughs> Are you married at this stage? Yeah, yeah. So I think I'd been married for about – I think I was married for about a year at this point. Like I got married very fast, like seven months after meeting him. Wow. And then got the the role within like maybe six months or something after – or maybe I started auditioning within a little bit after being married. So things were still very fresh. Um, yeah. Did he relocate down to Melbourne with you? Yeah, yeah, and he was he was good with that because he was an actor as well, and like okay, Queensland is famous for not being great for actors, <laughs> so <laughs> not known for its uh, no. theatre. No, yeah. Well, he was he was film and television, but still, like we didn't. The, oh, well, like, that, the that studios on the there. Gold Coast weren't doing much at the time, even though they are kind of. Um, I think they're doing they're they're more active now, again though, today. Yeah. Thankfully, well, yeah. I think COVID and stuff sort of helped with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um. Okay, so second one, at what point do you sort of pull the pin on that one and say, Bali Charlie? The, for the the job? Yeah. I mean, it was it basically just played out naturally in that the season, my contract was up at a very similar point to the end of the season that we'd done in that city. And so I was able to sort of get out and say, well, because like, I didn't want to bring someone who had like four weeks left in their contract to the next city because then I could bail right after that, whereas they were going to have a nice gap and a handover where they audition again and replace anyone who's leaving. So it just kind of it played out and I thought, okay, maybe it's maybe it's the, the issue is that I'm so resentful about how this whole contract started with having to relocate myself and setting myself back so much financially. Like it was, it was really expensive to like, I was paying double rent and you know, all sorts of things. Like I just, I was like, maybe it's just that. And I just need a different environment, different show. And then I'm going to, I'm going to get happy again. <laughs> like, and I just how, need another challenge. How long after that conversation at the party was you, you ending your contract? Um, It was, I think we we're getting close to the end of the contract anyway. I don't think I'd actually said, I, I knew I was going to say no. Like I decided quite early on, I was like, there is no way I'm going to the next city. Like I'm done, not just because I'm resentful, but because I'm bored. Like it was, I was really struggling to stay excited about doing the same thing day in, day out. Um, so it all just kind of, it just kind of wrapped up and I thought, okay, fresh, fresh start. I'm going to get into another show, totally different show, totally different vibe, totally different me. <laughs> Did you get a new haircut too? I actually, (laughs) so here you go, dyed my hair red. (laughs) Knew it. I knew it. (laughs) Yep. Towards the end of that first contract was like, I'm just going to do it. Exactly. And partially did it because I, there was a specific role that I really wanted to land. And I was like, I I just need to go all in for this. Annie or something? Jesus. (laughs) No. Um, So, yeah, that was a very, yeah, short-lived experience, that red. But (laughs) it did actually look good. I'm I'm saying, oh, Jesus, I actually quite like red hair, but I'm I'm thinking it was fire engine red. Like I'm thinking like it was a very natural red. I was, yeah, I was trying to go like, so I loved Mad Men at the time and I loved Joan from Mad Men and I was trying to go more that apricot-y colour and my hair just like sucks it up and it just, it was so much more like copper. It was very intense. Like people loved it, but it didn't feel like me. Like I felt like I was just wearing a wig. So had just, and then it was a very slow process to go blonde again. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I had to have like yellow gold hair for a very long time. That's funny. So... Okay, where where from from there? Because you you know something's not right. You're mm-hmm. dyeing your hair. You're trying yeah. a new 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 yeah. role, new me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So 
got into that next show, thankfully, just, and quickly realized, no, it's not the show. <laughs> it's me. Um, but had to just kind of weather the storm because I was in it I had no at this point again I was feeling so trapped like I didn't feel like I had options it was like I get into this or I can't even cope because at this point I'd also started spending more money I had a nice platinum credit card because I thought I was earning so much money (laughs) because it felt like so much to what I'd earned in the past so I was really actually creating a situation for myself where I couldn't not work and I didn't know what else I would do. And so I was like, well, I'm just going to get through the show and it's, and I'm just going to somehow make it. And it was really tough, had some great experiences, but always had this thing of like, oh my gosh, I'm surrounded by like 30 people who are obsessed with what they do and are so happy to be here and I'm taking up space and it felt wrong. So yeah, that was a, yeah, a weird one. I felt almost like guilty, like, well, someone else is more deserving of this because they would actually appreciate the opportunity. Um, but that show played out and I auditioned for another one and got the offer to getting in and again like each time it felt like I was like I was like just sneaking in because I was so in my head I was not showing up as the real me in auditions like I was so worried about getting it right that I just was really sort of like becoming this like I don't know dancing monkey who was like yeah yeah I can do all the things you need me to do like wasn't bringing anything unique to the table so I just sneak in but when I got the offer I just it was an it was a no um I just knew from the role that I'd been given and the way the contract was structured where you're like a few months on a few months off unpaid when you're off and I knew that I didn't have the financial capability to weather those couple of months in between. Had that been discussed before? Um, no, no, I didn't realize right. until the, and I think that's what happens off. I mean, I think they, they indicate that it's going to be like, you know, that it's a tour and that it's going to be in a few stages, but you, you, you don't know the logistics until they give you an actual contract and you're being made the offer. And I was like, I don't understand how other people do it. And a lot of people just have day jobs. Like they would like working for seller masters, like they would, you know, just do whatever it takes, maybe dance teaching. Some of them did voiceover work, like they had side hustles that helped keep them going, but I, I'd never developed that at this point. And so I just didn't know what I was going to do. Plus it didn't excite me. And so I turned it down, decided to move to New Zealand as, as one does Um, with, but again, with my ex who was wanting to pursue the film and television thing. And they were shooting like the Hobbit and Spartacus and all these really big things at the time. So it was like, this is, this is it like this. And I was like, yeah, have to be there there to get the roles. Yeah, exactly. And for me, I thought, well, maybe it's that it's the repetition of musical theater. I need to be doing film and television to not feel so bored and just yeah just unfulfilled so I'll try for film and television too because it had always interested me but you know as I said the show that I got into was the first audition so it was like well I guess I'm doing musical theater but yeah um so New Zealand did not go well (laughs) we did not land any work I was working at a gym and doing this horrible job at like the Toblerone store at the international airport like promo work handing out free Toblerones which I mean worst things to do but still I was just like what am I doing meanwhile financially we are spiraling out of control like just just hanging on by a thread like week to week like how are we going to do this anxiety is obviously at an all-time high just from survival mode of like what's going to happen and just at at some point had to call it like it's obviously not happening um and went back to Queensland to um yeah like live right near my my parents who were together at the time and 
that's when it just all it all fell apart so finally after I think it was like five or six years of marriage like that I'd known I'd said for a long time this is not this is not going well like I don't think we're happy and him saying no no we're fine we're fine finally had that moment of him going no I think you're right what was it (laughs) what was it in the marriage that wasn't quite working oh my gosh that we were just coexisting just like just sharing a a house basically like I yeah so much disconnect all sorts of deep-seated stuff like there was there were all sorts of things that came up around me living the dream and him not living the dream at the time um the communication just being I jumped into this because I obviously clearly at this point you can tell I I didn't know who I was I didn't have a sense of identity and I thought this person was going to help me make sense of everything and it just made perfect sense that we were together because he's an actor I'm an actor we want the same things that was it (laughs) and then we just did our best to make it work and you know we both had you know religious backgrounds and family we didn't want to disappoint like if it wasn't for that we probably would have called it a lot earlier maybe um but it's like no we're gonna somehow find a way through this but I knew that there needed to be work that was going to be done in order to fix things, but there was never that point where we both agreed at the same time to do the work. And so it was just like a matter of like, oh, yeah, I think think it is a problem. Maybe we should just take a break. And within like two weeks of the break, we were both so much happier. And it was like, oh, crap. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think we're going to – I don't think we're going to pursue this um, anymore because – yeah just just was not there was just nothing like I just I felt fond fondly of them um I felt like he was he was more like a brother at that point that you know that I I cared about I wanted him to be happy and successful and I just but I just we weren't we weren't really together it was Mm. very strange so yeah so that was it like I (laughs) we just kind of parted our ways and no hard, well, seemingly no hard feelings. I'm sure there was some underlying stuff, um, but we're like, yeah, wish you all the best. Let's let's go now. Very see what we're going to do with our lives. So, yeah, thankfully there was no assets, <laughs> there were no kids, so it was a it was a cleaner break than it it could have been if, mm. if our scenario was different. You ended up filing for bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. What made you get to that point? <laughs> Uh, it, look, it was a slow burn to get there. I, so the ultimate reason that I guess the breaking point was that I got sick. Um, so I ended up getting like sort of after a, a year of rebounds and just not looking after myself, I came down with glandular fever. And so it was like, I was, I think I was sick for about like three weeks with a high fever before my mom was like, ah, I think you need to go to hospital. Thanks mom. It's been three weeks. Oh, cool. Went and got tested. They're like, no, you seem to be okay. And like, oh, there's just one weird thing. We're just going to keep you in tonight. Next thing, you know, like within a few hours, my temperature spiked and they were sending me to the ICU. Um, So that's. Imagine if you hadn't been in hospital for that. I know. I know. (laughs) So three days in the ICU and then another week of getting better. Like my lungs, I got pneumonia, lungs filled with fluid. I was not in a good way. Like I was very, very on the edge. Like I've never seen looks on my parents' faces where they were like, are we about to say goodbye to to our daughter? Like that was a trip. (laughs) So that was obviously a really big deal and had a big factor in me being unable to work and to keep going. But I was already hanging on by a thread financially. Like I had 
credit card debt. Like I, I can't remember. I'm sure it was a coping mechanism, but I can't remember exactly how much it was. <laughs> I'm sure it was over twenty thousand dollars, which was obviously there's a lot of interest on that. Yeah. And at the time, I was working part time as a casual. Um, you know, barely, barely scraping so by. What was it like? Probably fourteen, nineteen percent interest or something. Um, probably. I mean, it would have compounded <laughs> at that yeah. point. So it was a lot. I was j- just covering the interest, but I wasn't getting ahead. And that was when I was working. So yeah. when I was sick, I ended up having about three months where I couldn't work. Like, I mean, after hospital, I, there were a couple of months where I could barely walk, still like walking up three stairs. I was like, <gasps> like it was really bad. So that was really the reason that it, it all kind of came crashing in on me. But let's be real. How much longer was I going to be able to go on like that anyway? Yeah. Um, and yeah, so I went and I, I, it was just horrible and I was freaking out. And so, I, you know, again, spoke to my, my parents about it. And they're like, I think we should go speak to a, you know, a financial counselor, you know, who, who understands financial distress and get some advice. And they basically were like, look, here are your options. <laughs> there weren't very many. Um, it was kind of like bankruptcy or try and consolidate and come up with some sort of like negotiate some sort of plan. And I was such a mess at that point. Like I honestly, I just did not see a way out. And it felt at that moment like bankruptcy was was the only option because I was like, it's the only way to get a clean break. Like how am I ever going to get ahead? Is it clean though? Because it stuffs your, you <laughs> exactly. stuffs your credit. Yeah, It's not clean. It's not clean. <laughs> it was, look, I, it's, I'm not someone that has regrets. I'm saying if I was who I am today and knew what I knew today, I probably yeah. would have made a different decision, but I wasn't who I am today. I was past You made the me. best decision you could at the time. Exactly. So yeah. it is what it is. What I did not realize was the trauma that it would cause in the shame. Um, so like there's the practical uh, impact, which is for three years you it, – it's public knowledge that you're bankrupt. If you want to leave the country, if you want to go on any, any sort of overseas trip, you have to write a letter and request permission to leave the country. Um, you can't earn over a certain amount of money, or if you or if you do, um, they start taking fifty cents on the dollar and putting it back into your um, bankruptcy. You can't be a director of a company. Like there are a whole bunch of things that it's, you I can't do. I thought it was do. seven years, so it's only three years. So seven years is how long it's on record. They can actually right. find it, but it's only th- it's three years that you were actually classed as bankrupt, whereas seven years is like how long you're, it's known that you were bankrupt. So you only have the sort of repercussions for the three years. Um, and yeah. then what happens after the seven years? Does your credit from what I understand, restore? well, so it's not even that it's your credit. Your credit is once it's done in Australia anyway. I'm sure it's. I think it's quite different in in like the states, for instance. The three not years financial is, advice, everybody. Uh, no, definitely not. Just yeah, just I have a feeling that it's um a bit different. But it's three years that your credit and all of those things are impacted. As in, when they're looking at doing a credit check, they'll they'll see, and you've got a red flag. So one time when I was trying to switch mobile phone providers, I had a very humiliating moment where they were like, "No, you're not approved to." Um, to have a plan with us. And I was like, what? Um, but for the seven years, it's more that if people wanted to find out, they could see it on record that you were, but you don't, you're not treated as bankrupt. Like you're no longer bankrupt kind of thing. So yeah. yeah. But can I just say longest three years of my life <laughs> <laughs> carried around this shame that yeah. I can't, I, can't I, I didn't tell my best friend that I filed because I was just so humiliated and felt like such a failure and just felt like any moment someone was going to find out. Well, (laughs) I think think also, how do you say this without 
it coming across being callous and uncaring. It's like you you venture into the world, you sort of trying to figure out who you are and how to live and to keep yourself alive after your parents keeping yourself alive. And it's kind mm-hmm. of like I would imagine emotionally it could feel like you had failed at mm-hmm. adulting. Mm-hmm. which I that's, feel like I fail every day. <laughs> yeah, think. and that's the thing. Like, there's so many other ways I've failed. This just felt so heavy. And I yeah. think and one public. of the big re- public and yeah. one of the big things is it's the stigma that's attached to it because yeah. in the media we see that bad people file for bankruptcy because they've used and abused people and then they don't have to look at, you know, they don't have to deal with the consequences of their actions. And I remember being at work, so I was working at Movie World again briefly, um, but this is when I was like casual, and there was a conversation in the dressing room of someone saying about someone who filed for bankruptcy and basically saying what kind of person they are because, you know, who files for bankruptcy and whatnot. And this is while I was bankrupt. And I just was like, oh, my God, like I need to hide. Like this Shrink. is, yeah, that's, was- that's now, what if they knew? So it was not, it was not fun at all. And I, I mean, I think the only regret, I just wish that, I wish I'd really acknowledged at the time how much it was hurting emotionally and got some help around that. Like I didn't think to get counseling because, again, it was like, well, this is your fault. You did something stupid. You got yourself into this position. Just deal with it. Like you made your bed, lie in it. But really I should have been speaking to someone at the time and processing some of the stuff that came up because I've had to process it since. Like it eventually came up and I eventually faced it. But it held me back for quite a while because of all the – the kind of stuff that I was carrying along with it. Like, I mean, I, I, after that, I was scared to earn too much money because I didn't want to be on the radar of the, you know, the ATO and have them go, oh, what's this girl doing? Like, this is suspicious. I, I don't know. Like, I just had this story of like, I'm still, a, I'm a bad guy. Like, I'm a criminal basically. <laughs> so, of course, that's going to impact how I approach my money and my business and everything moving forward because I'm scared of what could go wrong again. Mm. So, it's a lot of work to to unpack that i i get i do get that mentality like i I completely understand that um how did you get to that position bankruptcy musical theater to being a personal branding coach (laughs) and brand strategy and podcaster (laughs) yeah I know it's a bit like wait what that's a big it's a big leap that's why i'm like what's going on yeah it is so I mean, let's be honest. I think what I'm doing today was always in me and the things that I've been really drawn to and the way I wanted to show up in the world was always there and it just was packaged differently when I first was going about it. And I also had these very, you know, these ideas in my head of what I was supposed to do with my life because, well, you've done that much training so you should therefore follow this path. And so I just just follow the acting path. But I'd always been entrepreneurial. I'd always thought if I don't get, if I do a couple of years of auditioning, don't get into a shot, I'm going to go to uni, study business, and I know there's something there. So it's like there was this little seed inside of me that knew that one day I wanted to do something more of my own. Um, but I had, to, I, I rode the wave, obviously, of performing because it was working. Like, <laughs> I'm not going to say no to that. But what happened when I was in my <laughs> My, my dark night of the soul, um, you know, just freshly split up and just being like, wow, talk about a blank canvas, like a very sad, bleak, blank canvas. Like, what am I going to do? I had a moment, like one of those, they say, like, sometimes you just have this spark or you just have this like moment of clarity where you're like, oh, that's right. This is what makes me happy. And I was watching um, the show smash which was um it's like a it was about like a a tv show about making a musical 
um, about Marilyn. And so I obviously had the background, you know, as a Marilyn impersonator and I was watching it and I was like, I do love performing. Like I, I don't hate performing. Like there was obviously more to it than that. And I was like, I could do this. Like I could, I could do my own Marilyn thing. And I started writing this show um, <laughs> that I called Bomb. Well, I called the character Bombshell. So she was kind of modeled off off Marilyn, but it was more there was more me in it. Turns out she kind of became an alter ego. But it was going to just start as a corporate gig to make some money and do something creative because at the like time a one woman show thing yeah and I was like maybe I could bring on some dancers if I wanted to but like we'll keep it simple people can just hire me I'll go perform at a conference or something like I did not have big a big vision about it it just it excited me and it felt creative and like oh I'm finally gonna get to pour this energy into something and I think I just I needed a a way of like starting to heal and process but like in a way that wasn't just like sitting and navel gazing so that sort of was taking off I was working in real estate at the time Um, my mom needed admin support and I was like okay (laughs) I'll do it Um, and it ended up being pretty good and it kind of turned into a marketing role and I was um, you know good at what I did there Sorry, I just got just coffee delivered. Oh, nice. No, I was like, and sweet food. delivery. Oh, thanks, mate. Oh, that is service. <laughs> Where's mine? Me. Oh, it's a gluten-free chocolate cake. Very naughty. Oh, lucky you. I know. He's well, enjoy. I'll just, my mouth will be watering while I'm watching you eat it. <laughs> I won't eat it. I'll drink the bloody coffee, though. Yeah. Had, it's currently 20 to 12 and I haven't had breakfast. That chocolate cake is oh, going to be a very nutritious oh breakfast. Yeah, I was going to say, you're going to get the shakes, but anyways. Well, <laughs> Coffee will sort See how out. that plays yeah. out. <laughs> um, but yeah, so kind of doing the day jobby thing and being like, oh, like I'm, look at me doing adult things and dressing up kind of corporate to go to work. And it was kind of fun. It felt like I was playing a role at the time because it was so foreign to me to have a normal job that wasn't performing. But in the evenings and on the weekends, I was kind of like writing and starting to design some costumes and sourcing the music and then talking to an old um, friend, like dance teacher and seeing if she wanted to choreograph some stuff and then reaching out to other contacts. And it all just kind of started coming together and landed a couple of gigs and ended up somehow having this conversation with a producer from the powerhouse um, powerhouse in Brisbane. And he was like, you know, this, I think there's more to this than what you're making out. Like, this isn't just a Marilyn thing. Like this is your, like, there's a story here. Like she's, she's your alter ego. Like you should do more with it. Like you should write a real show, like a cabaret. And I was like, Oh, Oh, okay. And so I ended up writing a cabaret and next thing you know, I'm like performing I, I ended up putting on a ticketed event at a theater in, on the Gold Coast, um, which then the owner of the theater or like the longtime renter of the theater asked me if I wanted to do a longer season and come back and do another show that was long, like a longer show as well, like a double length of what I'd done before. And this whole thing is like snowballing and I don't really know what's going on, except I'm just like riding the wave again. Cause I'm, I feel like I've a sense of purpose and what I was finding though during all of this is like as much as I love the like the the performing of it I mean it was a lot when I was wearing all the different hats of directing it and producing and performing but it was the branding aspect of it that I found so fun like I'd started like I built my own website like the first time I like pulled together this website and I was sending out emails but like as Bombshell the character and like you know and it I was just like getting really immersed in it I was like this is fun like this is huh and then because the marketing thing was going so well and I'd always been a writer you know and so in the real estate world that seemed like it was working too 
And then I also met my partner today who was in the marketing space too. So he was a web designer and developer, graphic designer, and all of this started to kind of culminate. And he was like, you know, your skills really sort of pair well with my skills. Like we could do something here. And we kind of got this idea that maybe we'll create like an agency um, and serve clients, just like a boutique agency. And I loved that idea, but part of me was wondering, like, <laughs> like what the hell are you doing? Like, do you know what you're talking about? Like, I, there's so much imposter syndrome, but I mean, for good reason. I was inexperienced. Like, I had lots of raw talent, but like, had not done any formal training. So I decided that the thing that would make me feel better is if I actually got a job in an ad agency and tested out my skills kind of in the wild and made sure I actually knew what I was doing and I had potential and understood the industry better. And so I sort of talked my way into a job because they wanted marketing graduates and I had no training, but I write a mean cover letter and I was like, I'm going to work harder than anyone you have ever met. You're not going to regret this. (laughs) And um, they did not. And yeah, got the job and sort of negotiated a a built-in pay rise because it was terrible, terrible money, like terrible. (laughs) Um, And so I did that job for like six months And I could tell, I was like, yeah, I am good at this, but this environment is going to kill me. Like the anxiety was coming back. There were like radio deadlines, newspaper deadlines, irate clients who like the wrong car is featured in the ad or something, like the wrong model of Toyota. Like (laughs) there was a lot of like car advertising. And um, I just went, yeah, I can't keep doing this. But I'd landed one freelance client during that time, thanks to my mom, bless her heart. And they were paying me enough. And I was like, if I had the time, I could probably land a couple more clients like this and suddenly I'd be earning more than I'm earning right now, but I'd be doing it for myself. Like why mm. not? So I quit six months into the ad agency job good and went you, freelance. That's yeah. so good because I think often you can get comfortable having that paycheck. It's an easier road yeah. really than doing the entrepreneur thing. And if you get comfortable, mm-hmm you don't people don't like to step outside of that Uh comfort zone yeah because you're like oh my gosh am I about to burn everything to the ground like you know is it is it really worth the risk but I think because I was kind of fresh to it it wasn't heaps of money and I really was on this journey of trying to figure out what is my place in this world and I knew I was not being valued at this uh, agency I mean look to be (laughs) they did offer me a massive pay rise and a promotion and everything just before I left after you resigned no, 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 before. Uh, and I was like, yeah, I'm sorry. Like, I'm out. Because I, yeah, I knew it was only just going to be more yeah. of the same. Like, it was just not what I wanted to be doing. But also, I mean, if they wanted to keep you, they should have been treating you right from day one. Yeah. And look, yeah. They, they, they did their best. Like, it's it was just a small time place that was just, oh, they're still doing the same old thing. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, I'm glad I got out. So, what is dead end? <laughs> so, what does a personal so, yeah. branding coach and brand strategy person do? Yeah. So, I, so I guess the the way it sort of, again, the, the next phase of the evolution was helping so many people with their, you know, their copywriting. I would like write their websites and I'd help them market themselves and figure out how they want to position themselves and all of that. And during this process, I started to really notice that, huh, like it's a lot easier to land jobs when you have like a reputation, like people actually know who you are and they like, they're invested, like they're kind of like, they've got buy-in on you specifically rather than just weighing you up against five other people. And it's all based on quotes and stuff like that. And so I started by going down the route of realizing I need to build my own personal brand. And so I, I did that first 
and you know sort of launched the, a YouTube channel and and my own website and started to really get intentional about that and it started to sort of snowball a little bit and once I'd sort of experienced for myself and I saw the shift saw what opportunities it started opening up and how people took me more seriously and how I could charge more money and it just like became this thing of like ah like this is nice like this is more what I'm talking about then the next next natural step like they say to sort of like mastery is like teach other people what you were able to do for yourself and so it was really it began this journey of me sort of reverse engineering and figuring out what does it really take to be able to show up and get known for you, like for who you really are and attract the kinds of clients who see your value and want to work with you. And, you know, those kind of elements, like it really started with more on the brand strategy side of things. So, you know, whether people wanted to launch a YouTube channel or a podcast, if they wanted to be blogging, what they need to show up doing on social media, like it was very tactical and strategic, but I started to see that the real thing <laughs> was the mindset stuff that comes up when you do start to become more visible and the the imposter syndrome, the perfectionism, the resistance. It's not as easy as someone saying, hey, it's go real, show man. your face. It's real. There's uh-huh. a reason why I don't do a video component to this podcast. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I don't want to deal with the trolls. I don't want to put myself in a situation where I'm Mm-hmm. You know, if supermodels are getting picked apart. Jesus, I've got no uh-huh. freaking hope. <laughs> That's it. And and like and in, on a deeper level too. Like when you start showing up and positioning yourself as an expert, saying I I've got something that you need. Then you're like, who am I to be doing this? Are they going to realize I'm a total fraud? I actually don't know what I'm doing and I'm completely unqualified, which is obviously not the truth, but that is what your brain will do to kind of keep you safe. And so the, my two sides of of the journey of my my own stuff of getting to the point where I was able to share my own story honestly and comfortably and know that, wow, I have this ability to use my story to help other people who need to hear it and and use that to really build connection and trust and authority. But then also knowing how to work the system as in like understanding how SEO works and, you know, what you need to have on a website and how to patch package services. Like I was able to kind of pair those two sides of, of like my own personal lived experience and expertise and Mm. that is kind of like the intersection for the personal branding uh, work like coaching work that I do is just helping people kind of get good with what I call like the inner magnetism (laughs) where it's like let's remove all the blocks that are are holding you back and and you know stopping you from seeing your own value and then let's build a strategy where your brand your your personal brand on the outside reflects what's going on in the inside so you're actually attracting those yeah, yeah authentic which means you attract the right opportunities the right clients people who already get you and mm. you're not sort of having to shout to be heard or you know you're not having those situations where people have have requested five quotes from another copywriter like they already know they like you as a person and they trust that you can do the job um and so yeah so my work is pretty varied like it covers so many different aspects of things because I just find they all kind of come together um but at the core of it I say it's like inner magnetism plus outer magnetism is like that is the that is the key we got to We've got to believe it first and then we've got to show up and, and let people see it. Well, not only are you doing that, you've also got your own podcast, Seen, Heard, Paid. Yes. Yeah. And that was, I mean, that was a catalyst in itself of me sort of finally going all in with the coaching thing, like because I'd still had this resistance of being seen and calling myself any sort of expert. Like I was like, I first launched a makeup course, which was like my, like dipping my toe in the water of wanting to actually teach people or coach people but I did it in a space that I felt more qualified in. Um, and then I'd already had the podcast, uh, sorry, the YouTube channel going, which originally started 
about acting. Like I, I was telling people about acting and then What's your YouTube new, channel called? It's just self-titled. So it's just Cat Elizabeth Personal Branding Coach. Um, okay. So it's evolved a lot. Half of my videos, three quarters of my videos are hidden <laughs> these days because in the early really? days it was all acting, all acting, and which is great. And they're, they're there, they're unlisted. It's just it confuses the algorithm if I'm they see totally it's all about acting. I'm totally looking it up now. I'm looking oh, it no. up now. Cat I Elizabeth. have not been consistent. I've been less consistent there than my podcast lately. Oh, really? Yeah. What was but, it? Cat Elizabeth yeah. Personal Branding? Personal branding coach. Oh, mm-hmm. look at you! You come up in my little search options. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh wow, you got that's good. You got over fifteen thousand subscribers. Yeah. So like it was the original. That was the me going. Oh, I do know what I'm doing. <laughs> and also sort of launching. Um, when I did first launch my makeup course, it was it's not the course I should have been creating. I now help people not launch things that are out of alignment with their real goals. But um, in the process of launching this makeup course and realizing I didn't want to do it, I attracted a lot of attention about the branding and how I positioned it. And like people were like, wow, you really know what you're talking about. And I thought maybe I just take this as a sign. And so I was like, I'm going to start a podcast because I had a lot of people saying, you know, I struggle to watch YouTube, but I would listen to you if you had a podcast. I was like, okay, that's good to know. And I had a name in my head. It was going to be the personal branding project. And I just like quickly designed my own artwork, um, bought the domain name. And next thing you know, I've got a podcast and a website up and my first coaching offering. And yeah, that was like three-ish years ago, almost three years ago. Um, and kind of just snowballed from there. I'm about to, like, about to do a rebrand. Like as we're speaking, it's still the personal branding project. I was going to say that's not the title that you told me. No, at the time it probably, I, hopefully by the time people are listening to this because it's a tight deadline, is I you will get to see that it's actually now Magnetic Brand Co. And that is a much more intentional choice. Like the personal branding project, I just picked out of thin air to be completely honest because I did it on a whim. But I'm glad I took action. And that's what I say to people. Like sometimes you just need to grab something and run with it rather than sitting and thinking about it for hours on end or weeks, months, years on end when you could just take action and then you'll get the clarity as a result of taking action and then, you know, adjusting course. So the rebrand is pretty exciting because it's kind of like it's like my coming out party of like this is the real me after all these different things and kind of winging it a little bit up until this point like not behind the scenes not with my clients but my own brand has kind of never gotten the attention that I wanted to give it I finally did things very intentionally and hired a lot of ex like I've hired I actually hired a designer to do it for me this time so the first time I've not DIY'd my my branding um and yeah it's 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 a pretty big deal it's just like it's scary though because I know that people are watching going well you're an expert so what do you what do you got huh like what's what's this new brand about like is it gonna be any good (laughs) so I'm like oh my gosh I'm gonna hit publish and be like sweating but that's that's how I launched my YouTube channel every time I hit publish like I did 30 videos in 30 days because I knew I had to build some serious momentum at the beginning and every time I hit publish I was shaking and sweating and I felt sick like what are they gonna think and I don't quite, I haven't fully gotten over that. There's still that moment of like, oh my goodness, like I'm being so exposed, but it's kind of normal. Like I now know that that's a sign that I'm actually showing up and, and giving it my all. So it's okay. <laughs> you just live with it. If people, uh, obviously with the podcast, it's on all the streaming services mm-hmm. for podcasts, but um, but not YouTube. You're not on YouTube for your podcast. No, no. Okay. I different different content. I say like yeah. different yeah, different things. Good to follow both. Yeah. <laughs> You'll get the best of both worlds. Um how do people get onto you if they want the personal branding? 
coaching and brand mm-hmm. strategy stuff. Yeah, so head to magneticbrand.co. Is it um, live now? It will be live when people listen to this. Okay. <laughs> like I'm I'm days away from hitting <laughs> hitting go. I'm like pulling everything together at the moment. Um, and if it has if I've had a, a an issue, I'll have it redirect to my current website just okay. for safety. Um, but you can always find me as well on Instagram. So at I am a cat with a K, Elizabeth. And you'll find links there to everything or just you can drop me a DM and be like, hey, where do I go if I want this? And I'll I'll reply. Perfect. <laughs> Thanks, Kat. Thanks for coming on. Such a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for taking a moment to listen, everyone. We hope this episode inspired you as much as it did us. If you know somebody who also needs a little inspiration, then please share this podcast with them. Also, don't forget to subscribe on your fave podcast app and rate and review us because that helps inspire us to keep making them. 